Hello, and welcome to AdLib, a new podcast from AdAge that will feature unscripted interviews from some of the biggest personalities in media and marketing. I'm AdAge editor Brian Breaker, and I'll be your host. The goal here is to do away with spin and jargon and get to know some of the more influential and innovative people in this space and understand the humans behind the titles. There are a lot of freaks, geeks, weirdos, and pirates in this industry, and we hope to learn more about what makes them tick. My first guest on this pilot episode is Jim Bankoff. He's neither freak nor geek really, but as chairman of CEO of Vox Media, Bankoff oversees eight verticals including The Verge, SB Nation, and Vox.com. We'll discuss what's next for Vox, which has developed its own ad platform and creative services unit, and he'll also let us in on his own media consumption habits and favorite TV shows as a child. You guys have uh, an ad campaign coming out. It's the first time you've done an ad campaign, is that right? Right. Well, really, we're, we'll probably do some promotion of it, but it's it's an explicit positioning for our company, and yeah. it's and it's go deeper. And yeah. we're excited to roll it out. It really speaks to the Vox Media promise to audiences and to advertisers. Uh, and we're rolling that out. We're getting a little more public with it. It's a it's a platform which really speaks to who we are, and it's one that. Most everything we do, whether it's our editorial focus, our video focus, our commitment to marketers, uh, can align with. Right. When um, when I hear people start talking about whether well, it's a new campaign or a, a positioning that they're coming more prominent with, um, it suggests to me there may be a problem they're trying to fix. Is that something that's happening here, or is this a new positioning, or is this uh, just telling people I, your story? I think we always, everyone in this industry, there's so much going on, you know it as well as anyone you cover it and there's so much going on that if we're not really making our identity as clear as possible then we're not going to succeed in the way that we should be um our opportunity slash challenge is that we are a house of brands we have right. some of the biggest and most prominent brands for their generation in media um and i can rattle them off rattle for your them. audience can, can, you do, can you do them all i i uh, can do <laughs> them all there there are eight big ones and then increasingly we're doing other um satellite and partner ones as well but leader in sports with sb nation leader in food with eater leader in home and dwell with curb leader in retail and fashion with racked leader in gaming with polygon leading in consumer technology really the culture of the future with the Verge, mm -hmm. um, leader in news with Vox.com. Vox yeah, well, Vox.com. And then, of course, um, leader in what I'll call like business and technology with Recode. Um, right. and, I, and I use the word leader with each because what makes Vox Media unique relative to our digital competition in particular, but I think relative to any media company, is that we've proven that we could scale relevance and audience size mm -hmm. at the same time, make a huge audience when you cume those together on our websites alone. We're probably at 200 million unique visitors every month. When you span across digital and social platforms, we're over half a billion. It get, the numbers get nutty uh, when you add it all up. Um, and we're the only ones, I think the largest pure play digital company in the United States, mm -hmm. audience size. Um, so we've been able to achieve that though by going deeper. We're, and, and that house of brands is something that's hard to do. If you think about it as a startup, it's mm -hmm. hard enough to market one brand and grow one brand, let alone grow eight over time. And we've been able to do that through a combination of talent, 
platform technology, data, everything that goes into it. And that's really what makes us unique. We are able to scale by going deeper. Each yeah. brand can become more authoritative. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit because a lot of media companies, there was this big rush and for scale, chasing scale of uh, past couple of years that people are pulling away from uh, because I guess the individual publishers would in this attempt to obtain scale, go wide but not deep. And there was a lot of sort of viral sameness out there, a lot of, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I won't name or call out specific publishers, but they started becoming undifferentiated from each other. So what you're saying is you have a bunch of, you have these separate- We've, saw, we've cracked the code, yeah, we've solved the riddle. You've got um. these, but is that, is that first of all, a fair assessment of yes. a, a trend? And then, Absolutely. And then you, but what you're and doing our, instead is you have these individual brands that go narrow and deep and then c collectively you, you achieve some kind of scale. You're, we're not talking Google, Facebook scale. Well, we're, you know, in the content business, which is where we operate, it's scale. I mean, it's yeah. among the largest con digital content companies in the U.S. and the world, for that matter. So it's, it's big scale. Um, and, and when I talk about going deep in categories, these are not niche categories. You know, right. these are big, the big categories that you find on your cable dial, food, mm -hmm. news, sports, the big categories that you find on your magazine rack, mm -hmm. et cetera. Now we're doing it for a new generation, mm -hmm. the way they choose to consume, mm -hmm. first and foremost on their phones, first and foremost increasingly with video, mm -hmm. uh, and we're able to do that. Uh, and you're absolutely right, we're able to find scale in doing that. And I, I do agree, you know, there was this kind of debate in media circles about, um, about what you're saying, kind of producing a whole lot of crap content in the name of scale. Um, but then on the other side of the spectrum, you have uh, publications that might have a preciousness about them or might just be single point publications that might do a good job but can't meaningfully grow a business because marketers are increasingly needing to find digital scale as they go to replace broadcasts and other uh, places where attention is migrating away from. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I love about our model, and it's not easy, again, like you have to figure out a platform approach. You have to figure out how you're gonna use data, how you're gonna use workflow. But rather than becoming a portal that tries to be everything to everyone, rather than just adding another section, you know, starting off as um, one thing and then adding more things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the Verge doesn't have to have a sports section in order to grow. The Verge just has to continue to do their work well. Uh, and yet we can grow by serving our audiences, by making each brand more authentic, by going deeper with each brand. So that's been the story of our company. It started out in sports, where mm -hmm. even in sports, our model was never just to be a general sports portal with SB Nation. We literally have 300 different sub-brands that fall under the SB Nation brand. Each focuses on a team or sports topic. Mm -hmm. The leading MMA site, we have the leading San Francisco Giants site, and really these are media brands. That, so that whole approach, we had to build a platform to do that. We had to build know-how to do that. Mm -hmm. And then we decided to scale that outside of sports as well, and that's where we are today. Yeah, it's hard to, hard to differentiate in sports, which is very sort of big market. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, now that we've built that platform, we can extend it to other things too. We just, uh, as we sit here and uh, with this podcast being taped in August, we, um, we yesterday were proud to partner with Bill Simmons Media Group and right. launch yeah. the ringer on our platform. And that's an, uh, that gives you a sense of the power of this platform within a very short period of time, we can scale it to new properties. Right. So talk about the tech and how tech is driving this, this 
this model. Um, you have uh, proprietary CMS, and, and you also have, and that's that's concert. You can tell me what, yeah. what the pitch is there. Uh, you went into Can with the big big open letter, I guess, about concert. Yeah, um, but well, that's about concert, and that's our that's our big. Um, premium advertising marketplace, which right. I can talk about as well. Right. You know, and, and I'll, I'm happy to, you know, there's there's a lot of things going on yep. and try to make sense of them all. But what they, you talked about go deeper to open the conversation. And yep. and and that's something that holds everything together. And I'll, and I'll probably talk about all the different things we're doing. Mm -hmm. But each one, it lives up to that positioning. Um, so for instance, when we talk about our use of technology, it mm -hmm. enables us to get better data insights. It right. enables us to publish content in more engaging ways and more efficient ways. That's We use technology to go deeper. Um, we actually don't even use the word CMS anymore because mm -hmm. that kind of is, is a somewhat antiquated term. And this, is, some, this is Chorus. This is Chorus, about, which yeah. is our, our media platform. Yeah. Um, and it's a media stack that enables us to create and distribute digital content. Mm -hmm. um, Eight years ago, it helped us build the best websites in the industry. Fast forward to today, it helps us produce the best cross-platform content that can be published onto Facebook and YouTube and other social platforms in addition to onto websites. Uh, it enables us to use data to understand where our audiences are and how to reach them. It enables us to create more relevant advertising and work with partners to get their stories out. So. Chorus is kind of a catch-all for our platform that enables us to create media more efficiently, mm -hmm. in more highly engaging ways, and ensure that that media finds its audience, its relevant audience, no matter where they are, uh, across our platforms or across other third-party platforms too. And part of this was is a partnership, right? A media partnership with NBCU and, and, and Condé Nast, is that? Um, Part of the network effect. So this, like, I am I conflating things. You're, 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 and I'm not blaming you. I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, this is why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There is what I just talked about is our technology yeah. platform, which we call Chorus. Right. Um, oh, concert is concert is um, a, a program uh, right. that we have launched in partnership with both NBC Universal. And Condé Nast, and yep. Condé Nast is also uh, bringing their data technology, which is called Spire, to right. the table, which they've innovated. Gotcha. So, Concert Spire uh, is a program that is seeking to solve a problem, seeking to go deeper for premium brand marketers that right now cannot confidently get premium brand advertising online at scale. Mm -hmm. By coming together with not only those two partners, but others as well, Penske mm -hmm. Media, Flipboard, mm -hmm. others who are premium brands, then offering a suite of premium products that are particularly geared for mobile, particularly geared for video, mm -hmm. but particularly geared for distribution of premium advertising content, whether that's branding con branded content or other like really premium rich media. We now have a value proposition where a brand marketer can come with one-stop shopping, programmatically if they choose, purchase distribution across this collection of premium brands, right. whether it's NBC's, Condé's, ours, others. Right. Um, have a commitment of high performance, a com commitment of 
only adjacency to the best brands, commitment of using data to target against the audience segments that you want, commitment to be able to optimize multiple creative, uh, dozens of creative by creative type to audience type, a commitment of um, viewability, you know, basically take away all the bad stuff that people hate about the big ad networks, Mm -hmm. and frankly, provide strong context as well as strong performance. And that's what concert seeks to do. Is that so in teaming up with other media properties like that? Is this is this a reflection of uh, the, the uh, a trying time or a trying marketplace creating strange bedfellows in some ways? Marketers are telling us that they need scale. I, again, yeah. I think it goes back to attention moving to the internet. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're in the direct response game, there's great alternatives for mm-hmm. you. There's, you know, Google, the best commerce engine known to man can mm-hmm. help you um, when you have a demand, you search for it, you get what you want, or if you don't buy it right away, you get retargeted until you do. Right. Facebook has been able to do that as well. Huge scale, great mobile. But when you're seeking to build brand, which if you're seeking to do experiential advertising, which mm-hmm. broadcasts and magazines had historically done, now you're looking to do that at scale in digital. Right. Where do you go? These other places that I've mentioned, you know, we we know the stories about brand safety and the scares that have happened. But mm-hmm. even if you exclude the most egregious brand safety issues, you still have issues around viewability. You still have issues around performance. You still have basic issues around I don't know where my ad is going to show up. Right, right. <laughs> basic issues around context. Yeah. Um, we solve for that. And, and this is what you wrote about before before Can and what you discussed a bit at Can was this brand brand safety issue. Yeah, and what it's is, more than brands. I don't I, I try to frame is, it in a positive. There yeah, are yeah. like there's a negative way to frame it too, which sure. is a real thing. Um, mm-hmm. but there's a positive way to frame it mm-hmm. as well. Uh, let's get great performance, let's get great engagement, mm-hmm. let's be show up adjacent and within context to content that is as premium as the messages that we're providing. I think that's why broadcast has worked so well. You know, broadcast provides a storytelling palette, if you will, which Mm -hmm. is what concert does. Um, And broadcast also provides scale. Mm -hmm. And broadcast provides confidence. Uh, Now, if you add everything that digital does great, Mm -hmm. which is, first of all, big growing audiences, big growing attention, but second of all, the ability to target, the ability to go deep with data, that's what the concert value proposition is. And so now we can reach in the US alone per com score over 200 million unique visitors, adult uh, visitors, mm-hmm. 99% of millennial audiences, but do it in a premium context. So if you're a marketer that's looking to put big dollars to work, right now you have a few options. Um, none of those options really provide for brand safety. Uh, and then you're left with having to cobble together a bunch of different a bunch of different outlets if you want to get huge scale. So mm-hmm. concert enables you to do that with one stop, all the premium brands, bought mm-hmm. bought pre- programmatically, um, safety and performance. Mm-hmm. And but you're also in the content creation business for for brands. That's right. So another thing Vox Media does. Um, so if you think about it. Concert, which I just described, yeah. is enabling one-stop premium distribution mm-hmm. of messages, branded content. Right. One of the things that Vox Media has done really well is leverage its ability as a storytelling company mm-hmm. that uses talent and technology to tell stories for with marketers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we have a unit of our company that's a huge business for us and a fast growing business for us called Vox Creative. Mm -hmm. And Vox Creative leverages our insights, mm -hmm. leverages our big audience, leverages our storytelling technology, leverages data to help marketers reach their audiences with storytelling. Mm -hmm. And we work with biggest brands on the planet to help them uh, either contribute to campaigns or lead campaigns. Um, and we're particularly able to do that in areas that leverage our audience know-how, our audience insights, whether it's around food, whether it's around sports, these topics of passion for audiences. And we're able to help marketers go deeper with those audiences by developing relevant messages that we know will resonate with the audience. Are the, do, do the individual newsrooms get involved in the, in the branded content creation or do you keep that separate? Yeah, we keep, we keep that separate, both mm -hmm. for the kind of important um, audience trust issues, mm -hmm. um, but also a more practical reason, which is um, our reporters are busy doing reporting work. <laughs> and and right. you know, so we hire other professionals who leverage the same data, leverage the same capabilities, leverage the same insights, leverage the same technologies, mm -hmm. um, know how to tell great stories, know how to build audiences around those stories, but know how to do it with the goal of uh, that marketers have in mind mm -hmm. too. And so that's a unique skill set and we find the best in class uh, talent to help do that. So we have uh, we have a content wing, we create branded content. Yep. I know a bunch of other publishers, there's T-Brand Studio notably, and there are a bunch of publishers out there that, that have a branded content wing. How do you stand out? How do you, is that becoming a, a, a sort of flooded market in its own right? It's definitely a fragmented market, I think. Yeah. And I, and I, but I'm, I think it makes sense. It's not just you know publishers who are doing it. They're st strong creative agencies. You know, really, it's one of the things about uh, creativity. It, it can come from a lot of different places. I think f marketers come to Vox Creative when they are looking to build stories that really resonate across the categories where we are strong. Like again, notably food, mm -hmm. notably sports, notably technology. Um, increasingly, the world of explanation, which is something that Vox.com really pioneered and scaled, with the explaining stack, the, the news. Yeah. yeah, we started with card stacks, but now yeah. it's taken on all sorts of different formats, notably yeah. video. Mm -hmm. um, that in itself has become a blockbuster format for Vox Creative. And when you think about it, most marketers face this challenge of when they introduce a new product, they launch it, and their goal is to quickly and, in, and creatively, mm -hmm. uh, in a non-boring, <laughs> kind of entertaining way, mm -hmm. explain what that product is all about and why would you want it. How, it, mm -hmm. in some cases, particularly if it's a technology product, could be complex and you have to make it simple. Why do I want it? How does it work? Mm -hmm. um, we have developed a particular expertise around explainers uh, mm -hmm. to the point where it's become a massive format for our content studio, our Vox Creative Studio, yeah. and we'll be really leaning into that. I mean, you- has, has explainer journalism become commoditized to an extent? I mean, you guys did stand out in that at, at first, but then you see every time something happens, Lord knows how many, you know, uh, North Korea nuke explainers are going up <laughs> today, you know. Uh, is that- uh, it, 
like, like, tough to like, remain just differentiated in that. Like, like anything that works well, you're going to have copycats. copycats yep. And uh, and you know, thankfully, we've had a lead. And now, and as you build, you know, as we've built our brand around being known for, in the case of Vox.com, explaining the news, or in the case of Vox Creative, explaining the brand. new product launches mm-hmm. and new brands. Um, what, what you, you tend to have more of a of a multiplier effect where you know the people who are known for that come to you the people who want that come to you mm-hmm. uh, and I think we've done a really good job of building up our capability set and our brand on that so you know those are some of the ways that we distinguish ourselves from a from a brand creative perspective but pairing Vox creative which helps tell the stories with the concert mm-hmm. product that I just mentioned which helps make sure that audiences everywhere across the whole digital landscape can see that content. We're not only solving for the production side and the creativity side, Mm -hmm. but I think even as interestingly, we're solving for the, how do I make sure a really wide audience sees it side. That's always the challenge with branded content is is it's a bespoke solution. um, Right, so so, you know, just to to, to use your example with the the Ad Age Studio, you'll be able to use you know, your audience at adage.com and across your social channels with whatever that group produces. But when you're looking to get even broader audience with broader market, you can come to the concert marketplace mm-hmm. and target different segments uh, mm-hmm. at a very granular level. Mm-hmm. You can then have different creative against different segments based on the message that you're trying to get out. And you can amplify that message but you can do it with premium audiences and premium environments. Right. You mentioned video and, and the video, how you started with explainers and now especially taken off with video. Have, have, has the, a, a lot of publishers have been turning to video and trying to do video and it's hard, it's hard. It's hard to do well, it's hard to monetize, it's hard. Well, I mean, it's expensive to make. Um, are too many people going into video? Is, are, are, is, aside from Vox, is, is anyone doing it really well? <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. No, no. There, I, there, there, there are. Um, yes, it's hard. Yes, there are entities that are doing it well, but there are far more entities that are doing it poorly. Yeah. And, and this is another reason why um, we embrace this go deeper positioning because Nvidia, which is by far the fastest growing part of our business, um, we have, you know, we have more video engagement than we do in say you know text articles we have more views and um it's growing tremendously well it's growing well across platforms um, notably youtube facebook on our own websites in other areas as well um but what i think really distinguishes it is that it is web video that goes deeper that has substance that isn't just looking to grab your attention in a it's in, in a in a Facebook feed for instance you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of video out there that has essentially become like the new clickbait mm-hmm. five years ago before everyone was producing video we made a commitment to go deeper to create uh, to, to not embrace clickbait to pay out what the audience was looking for. Our company started back in the days where companies like Demand Media would game search engine results. Mm -hmm. Um, And one day, 
Google came and said, we're not going to allow that anymore. And they, and they pretty much wiped demand mm-hmm. business off the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you saw that happening on Facebook mm-hmm. where people were smart, companies use technology and were smart about gaming the algorithm and understanding what worked. But the outcome is that our Facebook feeds get flooded with cheap videos that at first might be interesting or fun, which is why they get spread. But when the feed becomes exclusively about that and the Facebook value proposition Mm -hmm. therefore becomes about that, then I presume Mark and Cheryl say, this is not what Facebook is about. Facebook wants to embrace things that people care about, quality things. and we saw that happen and the with Google search. And, yeah. We saw that happen with Facebook. Yeah. And so we have a firmly held belief that quality works and that we can produce quality at scale by using leveraging technologies I just described to you mm-hmm. about, applying the best subject matter experts in digital. Mm-hmm. We believe really strongly in the talent uh, that we that we bring on to represent our brands, whether it's kind of industry-wide names like Kara Swisher, mm-hmm. or in the case of Eater, Amanda Clute, or um, Ezra Klein and mm-hmm. Sarah Cliff at Vox. I can go through each of our brands, and mm-hmm. we believe firmly that like we're here to provide a platform for the most talented voices in their particular categories to grow. And that's ultimately what the algorithms value. That's what digital media is all about. It's providing voice at scale. And and frankly, we named the company Vox for that reason. Uh, It's about the most talented voices of their generations and creating brands around them. Um, so in that in that regard, I mean, you've, you've sort of already answered this, but Facebook then friend or foe, the question there is is resolved. I think Facebook, you know, by by and large has been a friend, um, it you know it would have been impossible for companies like ours to grow and scale without companies like Facebook and Google and even Twitter and other platforms that have emerged. Um, now, as we continue to grow, I think it's going to be in their best interest to find that right equilibrium in terms of what the what the value exchange is for content companies. Um, you know, we're not alone in that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think our company has been optimized economically and creatively to really embrace platforms like Facebook. Um, and you know, Facebook is still kind of working hard to figure out exactly, all right, what's the best way to display video on Facebook? Right. It, you know, a f- the feed has its limitations. They clearly understand that. They're yep. working on that. What's the best economic model for premium content providers? Right. Like, they they clearly know that if they want to attract the best content, there has to be a value equation there for the content providers or, you know, and so they're experimenting with different ones and we pride ourselves in like being a great partner, figuring out, experimenting with them and then once we all lock on that model, really scaling it up. Do you consider them a media company? Um, I consider them a platform for sharing, and yeah. you know, media is probably the biggest thing that gets shared. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so, and, you know, maybe one of the most valuable things that gets shared, al- <laughs> um, along with you know, family photos, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so, uh, or photos of any sort. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, so like you know they're media and it's almost pointless to Is it a silly academic I think it's a silly conversation. What what yeah. what's more relevant is to unpack the question. Yeah. Um 
So they're a media company in the sense that they sell advertising and they have a huge business around selling advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sense, they, they sell media for a living. So yes, they're a media company. Mm-hmm. Um, are they a content production company? No, they're not producing content right now. Their model is to partner with companies to do that okay. or, to en- or to enable their platform to let other people share other people's content. So mm-hmm. um, you know, they may get into content over time. They probably will. They'll, they'll, they'll certainly license content. They'll share revenue on other people's content. Um, and we're looking for ways to, to work with them on that, and we want to be a good partner. Um, can we talk about your background a little bit and uh, some of the things that, that popped out at me when I was, I was looking through, uh, through your, your bio is uh, MapQuest. MapQuest, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I got out of business school and joined AOL, um, yeah. and I had a great uh, career there. I spent about 11 years in total, like, riding all the way up and riding part of the way down and uh-huh. seeing everything along the way. I never was on the shipping discs right. in the mailbox side of the business. I was always on the content and services side of the business uh, and had the opportunity as I grew in my career to manage uh, a bunch of aqu- uh, iconic brands. Yeah, whether it wasn't it was just, it was MapQuest, Instant Messenger, AOL right? Instant Messenger, Netflix. ICQ, uh, Movie Foam, Netscape. Netscape. I acquired and or launched other brands. I helped to co-launch TMZ. Right. I acquired Weblogs Inc., which came with um, great brands like um, Engadget and yeah. Joystick and other ones like that. So had the opportunity in, I guess, the Web 1.0 world to manage some of the biggest uh, iconic brands um, yeah. and learned a lot from it, had a, a lot of great partnerships in the industry. So uh, what, why go into a media company from that? I mean, do you feel like? Well, th- that was media to, you know, that was content and, um, you know, and community. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, my big insights from being there was I had a front row seat. I was leading in many cases the the kind of change in media. And, and what mm-hmm. I was noticing was that media was changing in some obvious ways and mm-hmm. some not so obvious ways. But media was becoming more social and now mm-hmm. we kind of take it for granted but at AOL we were pioneers in social media Ted Leonsis who I worked for and is still a mentor and friend um, I think he may have coined the term social media mm-hmm. um, and in the AOL context it was we called it community though and we mm-hmm. talked about how it's one thing just to publish an article about sports or a video about sports it's a whole nother thing to enable fans to share that experience uh, and to talk about that experience. And in the case of AOL, it could have been forums and then graduated to comments. And Mm -hmm. now we have more robust social media types and sharing and all sorts of great things. But that was one of the key and big insights that media was becoming more social. Another big insight was that media was becoming more specific and less general. And this Mm -hmm. goes to the go deeper point. Um, when When you lived in a world of limited options, you were left with you know big broadcast networks and may have a sports department and a news mm-hmm. department. But then as you graduated to say cable, you had a whole channel about sports and a whole right. channel for kids. As you moved to the internet, it got sliced even more thin. Well, now there's all this hand wringing that because of this very phenomenon that people, there's just bias confirmation, right? People can tailor their media diet to what 
what suits their beliefs already. Yeah, what, what suits their beliefs or what su suits their, you know, in our case, like uh, what suits their passions. And right. we're all like care about, uh, you know, we all care more deeply about certain things than mm -hmm. others. Um, and we want to make sure that we're there to uh, cater to people. And But to your point along with that, like we and other media organizations have a responsibility to make sure that, um, mm -hmm. you know, we are exposing different points of view. And I think the good, the good outlets that care about growth uh, mm -hmm. are are doing that. The mm -hmm. ones that want to remain more limited might not. Mm -hmm. um, so you know that was another thing that I observed at AOL. And then you know, uh, frankly, it was a great education, and I got to scale uh, a lot. I had you know at the time, I think by the time I left, I may have had you know two thousand people <laughs> reporting wow. to me and working or working in Any my division, and it was a big fancy job and I and I kind of walked away and I, I decided to do something more entrepreneurial but to mm -hmm. take with me those insights and and those relationships and I've always had a love of media ever since I was a kid I was mm -hmm. an only child I probably watched too much TV but what, like what I, was your favorite show um gosh I watched all the cheesy stuff <laughs> I uh you know it depends on the on the age I was a sports yeah. fan I watched a lot, a lot of sports but I also watched like sitcoms I you know mm -hmm. I think I uh, dating myself kind of was a kid in the in the happy days, Laverne and Shirley sure. era. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, got, I got the tail end of that. Um, <laughs> I was into Three's Company myself. Three's <laughs> Company, yeah, all good stuff, you know. Um, um, so, you know, but I was always kind of fascinated and like, all right, how did this like get on the air? And right. um, it wasn't just television though, I was into, you know, I was into music. I think, you know, again, I always blame it on being an only child. I had a little too much time to like dive into, these products um sports is another one and and so across the spectrum i like i always try to understand what made it all work but when the internet came along i was fortunate enough to be of age professionally and it was kind of right time right place and here we saw this sea change that was creating opportunity or disrupting media and what a great time to be part Wh of it where were you at at the the bust um i <laughs> I was uh, I was at AOL, but you know, post bus they they shipped me out to Silicon Valley. That's when I moved to the Netscape campus, mm -hmm. and all these properties that you mentioned, um, Movie Phone, MapQuest, Netscape. Mm -hmm. It was post bus. There wasn't really an internet advertising market yet. Mm -hmm. um, AOL was making all its money off subscriptions and doing really well. It was an ISP business that didn't have much time left. I think my parents still have AOL. Do they? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I have to <laughs> confess. I, I still have my address, but I don't use it uh, quite as much. But um, the uh, what was what was cool about it is I was like younger in my career, and they had a great group of people I worked with, and they they trusted me, and I like they're like, hey, if you're willing to go out to California, mm -hmm. live in Silicon Valley, you can learn some stuff and you can manage all these properties that we kind of don't know what to do with. Our primary business is selling ISP subscriptions and we have all these Things. other websites that yeah. don't make any money. Why don't you go out and run them, kid? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and I kind of went out there and I learned, you know, from a lot of great people in Silicon Valley. Um, Any mistakes? I love asking but people. I've had plenty of mistakes, but yeah. like, you know, one of the fortunate things was that in that period, that's when internet advertising started to grow. So right. um, 
AOL was able to develop a second business model, and a lot of these properties that I was managing had really blossomed. I'd like to take the credit, but the truth is they were just great They're brands, right. and we invested in the right things. We had great teams, um, and they became the iconic brands of their era. Um, and so we were left, and once the advertising spigot started coming on, they became like barely big and really profitable. And so after a few years of that, they said, well, come on back home because we need to do that for core AOL too. Right. Uh, we need to make AOL into a media company, yeah. uh, which was you know a tall order and something that AOL is now doing. Um, How are they doing? Yeah, yeah. I think they're, I, you know, they're, I think they're doing, they're doing well, and then being part of uh, Verizon merging with Yahoo is going to give them doesn't hurt. Yeah. Going to give them scale, and so I, I don't, you know, that's that's them, and I think they're, you know, I know they have a lot of smart people working on that, mm -hmm. but um, but yeah, mistakes I've made a few. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't even know like where to where to begin. Um, you know, I think maybe maybe one of the biggest ones, just like a macro one, is like. AOL Instant Messenger, like why didn't that become Facebook? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I know if I, I've had the opportunity very briefly to like meet Mark Zuckerberg, and I think the first time I met him, I was actually running AIM still. I was at AOL, mm -hmm. and he's like, oh my gosh, like that's how I started everything. I was a hacker on AIM, and I would hack the yeah. status messages, and that was really a big inspiration for Facebook, and, and I was like, like oh, uh, like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> glad, glad to be of service. Um, and, you know, there's some members of, uh, of the team that ultimately went over to work for Facebook. But, yeah. you know, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a pretty, uh, I, guess, I guess that would be a big missed opportunity. Well, I think <laughs> we all missed creating Facebook. Yeah. Uh, um, what, what, where are things in five years? I mean, and you can take that in any direction you want. Um, uh, you know, I listen. I I am a hammer, and everything looks like a nail to me. And the yeah. and the way that I frame things is like brands, media brands, are going to be more important than ever uh, right. in five years. Um, how we consume them will continue to evolve. We could be consuming them uh, on Roku or on Snapchat or on Comcast or on who knows what. Um, but we're going to be consuming media brands and the brands are going to become more important than ever as signals to the audience and to the advertisers, signals of trust, signals of authority. Um, if we look at today's world, it's becoming more and more of a feed or app driven world. Mm -hmm. And in order uh, in that feed driven world or in that search results world, Brand is a signal to the audience that you're getting something that you can trust. You're getting something that you know what it's about. Whether I click on that thing or the other thing uh, is likely going to be because not only am I interested in whatever the article or the video is, but because it's a brand I trust. It's a brand that has authority. That's why we believe in this go yeah. deeper positioning. No, I, be I believe in that too, but I think the, the devil's advocate in me would say that if you're existing on someone else's platform, they're the brand and you're supplying the content and and, and especially on a lot of the, just the way that they're displayed, the article, like on Facebook, instant articles, for example, they can become, there's a lot of similarity. Yeah, but you see, you know, I, I get what you're saying, and, yeah. and I think that that's the argument f to me why brands matter more, because if, um, if, if Facebook or any social platform, or frankly, any media platform, um, is going to be you know, Apple TV or Snapchat or you name the media platform. 
uh, is going to be successful, they are going to have to engender audience trust. They are going to have to engender audience relevance for the audience. And the brands are the signifiers for that. Now, the brands will... I think change and morph and and you know as I I believe in this go deeper approach. So I think mm -hmm. the brands that are more general and might not mean as much to people. Like for instance, a a, a TV network brand mm -hmm. is probably is less relevant than the shows. The, you know the shows are the brand as opposed to the TV network. Right. Um, I think one of the one of the things and even the only those challenges as an industry um, magazine brands are something that have a lot of relevance to the consumer just from a brand perspective. Like you know what they stand for. They have a voice and editorial curation to them mm -hmm. um, as opposed to say a, a TV network brand that is really a kind of collection of shows. Some, some TV networks are becoming more focused and more specific as a result of this trend. But um, in digital and in the, in the consumption era that we have entered, it's not enough just to like fill a big pipe full of faceless content. Uh, you're not going to engender relevance. You're not going to engender trust. Right. Uh, all of which costs money. I mean, the other um, the one last topic that I want to approach because uh, it's something we do and it's all, uh, something that you guys do. A lot of media companies have events and there are a lot of these conferences and events out there. How do you make that a business that um, both generates money and is stands out from all the other events. It feels like there's a sort of event bubble at the moment. Well, I, I talked about brand. I'm going to connect this answer to mm -hmm. my last statement about about brands. And if you have relevant brands, you can create a lot of business opportunity from them. So, in let's use Recode, which has, operates the largest and most successful, and I imagine most profitable brand in the uh, and conference in the technology business mm -hmm. um, in the code conference and has a series of offshoots from that that do phenomenally well too like code media with Peter Kafka and mm -hmm. code commerce with Jason Del Rey and then of course the big code um, which Kara Swisher and Walt Mossberg and mm -hmm. now Peter Kafka and others are putting together um, and they're built on a promise of really quality journalism and a community that cares about going deeper in tech journalism um, we were able to be successful with that because of the brand strength of Recode, because of the talent that the people I just mentioned bring to the table. But not only are we able to create a big conference business, but we're able to leverage that brand to um, create an interesting podcast business uh, mm -hmm. with Recode Decode or with Recode Media. Um, so I listen to them both. Yeah, they're great yeah. Uh, podcasts. But like, it, if you have a relevant brand, you can, you can distinguish yourself from the conference bubble or from the podcast bubble or from the Facebook video bubble. Like mm -hmm. if you do quality work, uh, if you have a system for scaling that quality work, uh, mm -hmm. because otherwise you're right, it can become expensive. It could look like a series of one-offs. So mm -hmm. if you use technology and data to support the talent that's creating the quality work, invest in building those brands, over time, you can exploit those brands into multiple different business lines, whether it's conferences, whether it's podcasts, whether it's television programming, whether it is uh, any, and anything that has relevance to the audience. If it's a quality product at scale, that's where brand starts to reinforce itself. So as long as we're talking about the branded content and the 
you know, uh, uh, the separate team that creates that. How do you set that up in a way that they're maybe, um, if they're maybe creating content for an advertiser that your newsroom wants to criticize or, or wants to do a, a, a hard hitting piece of journalism that does not reflect well on them, but they're here on the other side, you're, you know, yeah, you're it, making content for them that it, they're paying for. It, it happens. We, you know, we operate uh, The Verge and The Verge is known for when a product doesn't deserve a good review, it doesn't get a good review. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if it deserves a great one, it'll get a great one. Um, and a lot of those same products or the other categories outside technology too are working with us because they know that we have in big audiences that care about new technology products and they want to reach those audiences. Um, and you know, first and foremost, unequivocally, if you do not build audience trust, uh, you do not have an audience. And so uh, we take extra um, precaution to make sure that the two can live harmoniously. And, and if that means forgoing an advertiser because they were upset with something that we wrote, like there have been plenty of instances where that's the case, um, and will you, continue to be the case. I, I'm not. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna name them. But I think we're, you know, we're we're not alone in that. Hopefully, um, but, you know, it, it to me it doesn't it doesn't really um, present itself as a as a business dilemma because it's pretty straightforward you have to you're not going to have an audience if the audience doesn't trust yeah, you you need, the, you need the integrity to, <laughs> and, to say and that. so like yeah. as the business person is like yeah that's that's a pretty straightforward call um yeah. now i think having said that you you can be smart about where there are conflicts and where there aren't conflicts sports is an example that has a very a long uh and storied history of naming the bowl games and having the announcers read commercials throughout the games and e even having um, advertisements on the player's jersey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, why, why did that happen? Well, it happened because those advertisers are not looking to influence the outcome of the game. Right. <laughs> uh, and so you can have deep integration in, in sponsorship in sports, and we operate one of the biggest sports media uh, entities uh, and we can that lends itself really well to that sponsor model because there's not much room to influence the coverage um, in a category like technology reviews like you have to have much stricter rules around that stuff so a lot of it is about being smart being nuanced but above all else holding the audience trust paramount i appreciate you taking this yeah time. thank this you it's fine yeah good stuff and that's it for this edition of AdLib. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of AdAge, and we encourage you to come back next week. Give us another listen, subscribe to us on iTunes, and tell a friend. <laughs>